0: This is the
1: Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark, brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com. We're going to be talking about his ideological transformation uh, and the war in Israel—the ver- Israel versus Gaza war—and just global geopolitics. Uh, Anatoly, great having you back on the show.
0: Uh, great to uh, speak with you again, uh, Robert. Uh, good to be on the Stack the uh, View as always.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, the Stark truth, yeah, the Stark yeah. Truth. Yeah, I've interviewed you. I think I, we've done shows like—I think it's been about a decade, perhaps more. So, yeah, for people who are listening, they can check out the archives and check out some of Anatoly's like older artic- articles on Owen's review. But I guess to start things off, I think do you want to kind of explain your ideological transformation? because your views have changed a lot since I'd say even since the last time we've talked, and you've basically gone from uh, you've always been interested in transhumanism, but you've basically gone from a nationalist. To more of like a neoliberal globalist, and there's some comparisons with Richard Hanania as well. But is this this is primarily, you say, due to cognitive elitism, and obviously you still you still believe in HBD. But if you want to kind of give like an introduction of where you initially started out uh, politically and ideologically, and how have you evolved, and where are you now?
0: Uh, yes, sure. Well, uh, broadly speaking, uh, I was uh, a, uh, identified as a Dutch nationalist and a transhumanist. Uh, unusual combination. I'm uh, fully aware of that. Uh, so I was indeed blogging at the Un's the View until twenty 2020, twenty, early twenty twenty one, I think, uh, something like that. And um, uh, mostly speak talking about geopolitics and. Uh, futurism and HPD HPT and intelligence research. Um, so my sort of like vision is that uh, if um, uh, like the the vision I had before fast AI timelines appeared uh, so like the projected uh, um, doubt to AGI collapsed from 2050 to 2030 uh, literally of the past uh, couple of years. Uh, my vision is that uh, uh, it was un- seemed to be uncertain that we'd actually uh, get to the singularity uh, because there were also dysge- dys- 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 dysgenic trends in the uh, production, especially uh, well, so in terms of intelligence. You're saying it's happening and,
1: sooner because of technological advancement uh, despite dysgenics.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, my sort of view is that they're no longer really relevant, uh, assuming that AGI is 5 to 10 years away, uh, as seems to be the latest uh, predictions from the prediction markets. And um, uh, But ba- basically, just to finish my uh, thought... Uh, the idea is that uh, you need some kind of sane, sustainable, sort of, like, right-wing light, uh, 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 society uh, to, to exist, for to maximize the chances of at least, uh, like, some uh, regions of the world uh, avoiding uh, uh, an idiocracy. And it seemed to me that uh, Putin's Russia seemed to be actually not that bad of a model uh, as of, like, the uh, late 2010s, early, uh, uh, early 2020s. And uh, uh, obviously, I think that the war has shown that uh, the Putin regime is really uh, can be legitimately described not so much sort of like as a sort of like this sort of competent nationalist regime that I uh, partially envisaged it to be, although I was aware of uh, many of its problems. Uh, but is uh, in reality uh, more of a uh, uh essentially that doesn't really stand for anything and doesn't have any prospects. Now I, I believe that uh, a that uh, sort of the um, uh, integrated Russian lands lands uh, could be a uh, could achieve the economies of scale uh, needed uh, to serve as a uh, uh, sort of like a viable alternate mad, uh, model uh, to the sort of like the Western Empire dominated by the U.S. and uh, which has its own problems to do with wokeness and so forth. Uh, but as the war has shown, uh, it's the uh who are really, uh, uh, a much uh, sort of like ultimately bigger problem and uh, and uh, burden on productivity and effectiveness uh, than so uh, than SJWs.
1: You would say that you're basically like a neo neoliberal globalist now, who believes in open borders.
0: Uh, yes, although I would sort of uh, qualify the comparison with uh, Hanania or with Richard Spencer. Some ha- people have pointed out. Um, I mean, Richard Spencer seems to like have this sort of like neocon outlook and uh, wants to utilize the war with Russia as a method to mobilize uh, white identity uh, in uh, Europe and uh, the US. I personally don't have uh, have basically zero interest in that, and to, to the extent that it uh, extends the war, it's uh, it comes off as not a, as not a good Gaulish in fact and I certainly don't really have much in common I think uh, like uh, in terms of specifics with even with Hanania uh, in the sense that uh, Hanania uh, like uh, whereas Hoste was this sort of, like socially conservative right-wing person uh, like really really right-wing um, Hanania is instead this um, like anti-woke uh, intellectual dark web American supremacist, uh, like, frankly, neocon, uh, to to be honest, but, like, smarter than, than, like, your ordinary, normy neocons, but but in that sort of, like, general area. And I don't, uh, I mean, I think it seems pretty bizarre to me to sort of, like, um, uh, abandon Russian nationalism and then embrace some other nationalism, like, be it American or Israeli, as in uh, Hanania's case or as some Russian nationalists have accused me of becoming a Ukrainian nationalist, that's obviously also pretty absurd uh, in the light of the view that I don't actually support Ukraine. As in, I have been calling for a peace treaty for uh, a year now, basically. Uh, that, that was my basically publicly stated position so on Twitter supported, and
1: so on. You never supported Putin's war efforts?
0: I supported them last year, like two okay. years ago. Yeah, I sort of own that. Yeah, I don't deny that. Uh, because I thought that it was a normal state, which would fight the war normally, it would, um, conquer Ukraine in, uh, uh, one to two months. The prediction markets for what it's worth, uh, agreed with me. Uh, so people criticized me a lot for, uh, like getting that part extremely wrong in uh, February, that it would take like a week or two, uh, or a month at most. Uh, but if you actually look at the prediction markets, uh, they were basically saying the same thing, like 95%, 98% chance that uh, Russian troops would be in Kharkov before, before like, like in March. Uh, same thing for Odessa. So I don't, uh, and uh, if, if the war had, had actually been thought more competently, uh, probably not really the, optimal podcast to go into details, but basically if uh, conscripts had been used, if uh, Belarusian troops had been used, if um, mobilization had happened uh, uh, in April instead of September uh, and in a luckless way, if the bridges across the Dnieper had been bombed uh, from the outset, if uh, even like the barracks containing Ukrainian troops had been bombed on day one. Uh, whereas in fact they were avoided in the first few days, allowing them to disperse. I mean, if like the really Lee things, and I mean, I can expand this list by by tenfold, uh, had that been done, uh, then I think that uh, it's pretty like extremely likely that the war would have been won. Uh, this is what both prediction markets and American analysts for that matter, the key event three days meme, by the way, comes from the Americans. Um, uh, I mean that uh, would have probably been much closer to uh, to uh, reality than what actually happened.
1: So your views on Putin have overall changed uh, since the war. So you're generally you would say that you're disillusioned with Russian nationalism and would you say that you're overall bearish on on Russia's future?
0: Well, I mean, I wouldn't uh, sort of, um, I mean, obviously uh, uh, Putin adopted many parts of the Russian nationalist program uh, in the past few years. So, uh, I mean, I've written about that, uh, the um, uh, sort of uh, Russian uh written a few months before the war, which uh, has uh, aged uh, very badly in that respect. Uh, but, um, I mean, uh, but obviously they're not sort of the exact same thing. I mean, even the Russian nationalists, they have a very um, broad uh, sort of like spectrum of views. Some of them are anti-war for that matter. Uh, and uh, uh, people like Stelkov, uh they were sort of like demanding uh, uh, full economic uh, manpower and uh, ideological mobilization from day one and criticizing the conduct of the war. And saying that it wouldn't wouldn't lead to anything good the way it was being fought. So again, Putin and the nationalism two rather separate things uh, at the end of the day, although intersecting intersectional to some extent. Um, however, idealistically uh, speaking uh, um, I think that what the war has shown in general is that um uh, the like even had had the won in Ukraine. Uh, Italy wouldn't have uh, sort of made a cardinal difference. It's basically what the world what revealed is that it was it's just too quicky a state formation to actually serve as any any viable alternative model. And uh, basically you could sort of paper that over uh, during peacetime but uh, uh during wartime uh these sort of deficiencies uh really really commonly open and can no longer be here papered over like you could sort of uh uh like falsify election results you could uh uh sort of uh um like falsify COVID uh, numbers and uh, like uh like flunk the vaccination campaign not even do the census properly uh, like the census in 2020 was uh Carried out uh, much uh, in 2021, so it was uh, was its its quality was actually lower than in 2010 um, uh, or 2002. Uh, so you had all these sort of like uh, warning signs flashing during peacetime about Russian state capacity and its decline under under the late Putin regime, uh, but uh, the war really uh, um, sort of threw out into the open uh, that it's a uh, not a very sustainable. Uh, or viable structure.
1: You have these different narratives about Russia. You have like the the Z shill saying that Russia is doing great. And then you have like the you then you have people like Peter Zihan who says that Russia has been totally devastated by the war, including economically. Are are you overall bearish or bullish on Russia's future?
0: Uh, well, okay, look, um, I'm sort of like not going to be making any any bold predictions, but what I will make is that uh, uh, aside from my uh, incorrect prediction about the war being short, I sort of did uh, actually mostly call that uh, get York, everything it else correctly. That got,
1: it got coverage in yeah. New York Times, I think?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, Ross do that wrote about it. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, just to sort of like remind people, I predicted that the war would actually happen uh, when, uh, like, back in, like, um like late december i think uh i was sort of like f- flipped to the viewpoint that it was very it likely like going to happen like and uh, and uh and uh by the uh time of by late by late um uh 2022 and i have the receipt receipts uh my uh outlook uh which and i can provide the receipts on, on on twitter uh is that uh my long-term vision for for the war uh would be that it most likely would remain a stalemate well, I mean, yeah, I suppose you could sort of compare it to the um, U.S. Civil War, uh, with say Russia being the Union, much more industrially uh, um, like developed and uh, a bigger population, and uh, the South being more ideologically driven uh, and um, more, more more motivated. Except with the difference that uh, in this in this case, uh, uh, the Union successfully blocked uh, blockaded uh, the Confederacy. Uh, Whereas Russia can't locate Ukraine. In fact, it's sort of like picking uh, off the Black Sea fleet uh, one by one. And uh, it shares a land border with uh, NATO. And uh, NATO is ideologically totally aligned with, um, uh, with Ukraine in a way that obviously France and Britain were not aligned with the Confederacy. Uh, So and so, you have what you have. Uh, It's sort of um, uh, there's uh, theoretical scenarios uh, in which uh, Russia can still win, but uh, they strike me as extremely theoretical. Like either the war continues for another like five grinding years and uh, Ukraine basically bleeds out of manpower by that point uh, assuming that there's no sort of like uh, drastic technological changes which again is a very dangerous assumption considering the exponential growth in drone technologies Uh, or as I said there's going to be some uh, radical technological breakthrough probably in the drone related um, uh, realm uh, at this point that uh, sort of sets the tide Uh, but uh, leaving that aside, I think that the uh, uh, the current lines are here to stay. There's pro- probably going to be some minor shifts uh, that way or another, but most likely, I'm mean, I'm not excluding anything, but most likely the uh, amphibious operation across the Dnieper by Ukraine will not succeed or come to anything. Uh, probably, Russia will eventually take Abkhazia like a month before Putin's the election uh, uh, to sort of like um, serve as a sort of like a symbolic, uh, um, retarded kind of victory, um, but but which is strategically meaningless uh, in the expect... large picture. But otherwise, I expect the uh, front lines to uh, remain pretty much where they are for the foreseeable future.
1: Do you expect Putin to remain in power? Are there any viable uh, political challenges to Putin, taking into account the role of uh, U.S. deep state? Interfering.
0: Um, I mean, obviously, uh, that's sort of like uh, the other meaningless to talk about viable challenges to Putin uh, in the sense that she was a uh, like a like a not a telling regime pretty much uh, even before the war. Uh, now, I mean, it's uh, I, I mean, I mean, it's it's totally meaningless to talk of any challenges uh, to, to Putin uh he will get reelected uh in, in March, probably will get like legitimately sixty, seventy percent. There'll be fraud which adds another ten percentage points or fifteen percentage points as as is as is usual uh, for Putin. Um but um I think that after the war ends and I mean assuming assuming that it ends in the door, I mean if if, if Russia loses, it seems to be very, rather that unlikely now that she loses and uh, like ends up sort of like losing Crimea and so on in that case I think Putin is pretty much uh, cooked regardless uh, but if the war ends as I expect this is uh, sort of like dies down because of the mutual inability to make any progress and uh, Zelensky understands that uh, uh, it's sort of like throwing away hundreds of thousands of more people uh, for uh, like this sort of like prospectsless um, um, offensives uh, is not a good idea uh, I expect uh, some, some major problems for Putin, uh, like uh, two years, three years down the line, uh, uh, simply because uh, uh, once the war ends, it's sort of like not very kosher to uh, question the war's conduct right now, uh, because that's sort of like not something that uh, it's extremely socially acceptable to do during wartime. For understandable reasons uh, but uh, once uh, if and when the war ends I think there will be serious questions about uh, why Russia lost a hundred thousand uh, uh, like people essentially and, uh, and so whether it was worth it and uh, what Russia got out of it and uh, why was sort of uh, uh, Putin's sort of agents uh, uh, like um, buying up parts for his yachts in, in Europe in the middle of the war uh, instead of, uh, actually doing industrial, industrial mobilization and putting the, the economy on a war footing. Uh, like all kinds of questions about the war's conduct, about the, uh, like the extreme corruption in the elites that, uh, that, uh, resulted in this, uh, in this, uh, pathetic outcome. I think these kinds of questions will come to the fore, uh, 2025, 26, 27. And I'm sort of, like, not at all sure that uh, Putinism will actually survive past 2030.
1: So with the uh, Israel-Gaza war, you're basically uh, neutral as am I. Can you comment on Israel's response to the terror attack in Gaza and some of the, the both the practical and humanitarian arguments and how much criticisms uh, criticism do you have uh, for both sides? Are you generally, would you say equally, or are you more, much more critical... Of Israel or, or Well, well,
0: uh, well, At the at the very start, I, I said that it, uh, it, it uh, it's a very bad idea to actually take uh, sides in uh, uh, Middle Eastern squabbles. And uh, realistically, that would have been the correct approach uh, with respect to the uh, Ukraine as well, to sort of like oppose it at the beginning. Uh, but uh, basically, yeah, I mean the uh, uh, Hamas attacked Israel and carried out uh, an, uh, like a pogrom, pogrom essentially. So, and his daily response was inevitable. Uh, but uh, when you're talking about basically an open air prison in a very small territory, heavily built up. Um, you're not sort of like, even with relatively restrictive rules of engagement, and I don't think Israel is time particularly hard at that, uh, you're going to automatically, by default, uh, get massive amounts of casualties. Uh, So, uh, like, you could sort of like be cheering on Israel in the first few days, or even first couple of weeks, uh, but um, uh, there is sort of like the uh, walk times and like hospital bombings and, Church bombings and so on. Over time, they uh, will sort of uh, like start accumulating as they are already just just as I said they would, and you will uh, sort of spend an increasing portion of your time uh, time to justify war crimes of different kinds, uh, which doesn't strike me as a productive pursuit or one which will is very conducive to building up your social uh, capital. Uh, to get things done, and it's very funny to me that the ditoids have been fooled into uh, sort of like getting, uh, uh, getting like enthusiastically behind uh, Israel as usual. Like you know, you have the IGW ring-, ring leaders. You have uh, based Fipiro, uh calling on uh, the uh, men of the West to fight the Islamic menace. Uh, of course, we know that um, most likely this will like good chance this basically creates another refugee wave further down the line and uh, then those sort of like same uh, hate speech laws that uh, they're now celebrating like uh, uh, to uh, again which are being used against some like pro Hamas people they're just going to be used against those same ditoids in my opinion like in a few months time and uh, that's uh, I'm completely predictable and ditoids keep falling for it over and over again and uh, this is like one of the Million uh, reasons why I don't want to have anything to do with those losses at this point.
1: There are different like scenarios about escalation. One scenario is that it remains just Israel and Gaza, which is not going to have like a broader effect other than the refugee crisis. Then there's the scenario where it escalates into a broader regional war involving Hezbollah and Iranian Shia proxies in Iraq and Syria. And then there's direct confrontation with Iran. The third one would be direct confrontation with Iran. And then fourth would be uh, Russia gets involved in World War III, which sounds, maybe that sounds like a total hyperbole and like nightmare scenarios where like the Strait of Hormuz is interrupted and it impacts global oil supply. Ranking like those four different scenarios, which one do you think is the most likely? From like World War III to a regional war to just staying in Gaza.
0: Well, in a normal timeline, I would say that uh, large-scale escalation is unlikely, uh, because the U.S. has sort of signaled that it's behind this deal, and uh, uh, the Arab countries, they sort of, like, don't really care about Palestine, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, they sort of, like, the ethical thing to do would be to just take in um, Palestinian refugees, but... Um, Nobody seems to be interested in uh, in uh, doing that, uh, and uh, including and the West isn't sort of like very enthusiastic about it either, uh, to their discredit. Uh, so yeah, but that aside, I don't think that there's a huge chance of uh, of uh, major escalation. But what I would say, however, and uh, we're sort of like going off on a uh, on a sort of esoteric tangent, I would say. Uh, but I might sort of qualify uh, a um, the chances of a big war like a really big war uh, to be perhaps substantially uh, larger than uh, conventional prediction markets uh, or What would suggest uh, or like the assumption that we live in a conventional timeline would suggest uh, It's basically how this sort of like idea I've been sort of like uh, having is that um, again the turning to that uh, thing about um, uh, AGI timelines Uh, if we allow the uh, safetyist perspective that AGI is dangerous, and that uh, there's a big gap between uh, AGI timelines and AI alignment timelines, and also assuming some that anthropic reasoning is valid, so basically this idea that we are more likely to observe, to be in a world uh, that makes it, that survives uh, AGI uh, than we do in a doomed world. Uh, because uh, if it's v- surviving world, there'll be more uh, beings in the future to the uh, uh, call or the member or simulate current observers. Uh, be basically like uh, like one one to the sort of like this on-topic shadow effect um if if these assumptions are all correct, uh, then uh, there could be a sort of some catastrophic event uh, that might happen uh, to um, um like basically, uh, contract the gap between the AGI timelines and the uh, AI alignment timelines, like the gap between them. And uh, sort of like one of the more obvious uh, ways in which it could happen is indeed a uh, Third World War, uh, especially one that ends up destroying the uh, uh, the uh, chip in in Taiwan, uh, which are the world's think... most advanced. Like a full-blown World War Three involving direct confrontation
1: with Russia and China, that sounds like hyperbole, but I could see a, a quasi-World War Three where it's like a series of proxy wars, so Russia and Ukraine, uh, what's going on now in Israel. Uh, you have like Armenia, Azerbaijan, and just all these different proxy wars scattered throughout the Middle East, Central Asia, Eastern Europe, and Africa, like something like that is plausible. Not like a full-blown World War Three. like more like a series of proxy wars.
0: Well, as I said, I just sort of want to clarify, I mean, I'm not expecting a World War III per se, if uh, under the assumption that we live in a normal timeline. Uh, but as we sort of like approach the technological singularity, if uh, AGI timelines are short, uh, then uh, we there's a possibility that increasingly strange things will happen as we ap- approach it. Uh, just due to those uh, on-topic shadow effects that I mentioned previously. So, it's uh, basically an interesting scenario to consider, uh, not as a sort of like a certainty or even something that I would necessar- necessarily bet on.
1: Do you have thoughts on the impacts of the conflict with Israel and Gaza on U.S. domestic policies as far as basically how how Zionism is right-coded, and obviously, obviously Jews tend to be liberal, and The Democratic Party is being split between a more Biden, Biden's fairly pro-Israel, then you have like the squad and the progressives who are more pro-Palestinian, and then there's like some decline, you have all these different factions, like there could be a decline in soft power for Israel, and the issue becomes totally polarized left versus right, and then also you see like, in Europe it's actually, at least in the short term, Europe's becoming more nationalistic and kind of using using Hamas as an excuse to be nationalistic. So all these different uh, political, domestic political angles in the U.S. and Europe, your general thoughts.
0: Well look, um I think the safe assumption is that uh are detards and they will always find a way to fuck up. And I think that associating uh, themselves very strongly with Isdale isn't going to do any favors for them, uh, since the uh, sort of like the legitimacy of the Isdale cause it was high immediately after the programs. Uh, But as the war continues, uh, and as uh, things get more and more fucked up in Gaza, uh, I think that uh, that sort of thing will start hurting them more and more. And I mean, that's not even like going into the other sort of like issues, like abortion, obviously not going to go into that, but obviously the sort of like obsession uh, hurts the Republicans a lot. And um, uh, there's also uh, like even somebody like Vivek, who I kind of like actually, Uh, But he's sort of like dancing about how fossil fuels are great and how global warming is a lie and so on. I mean, well, I mean, I don't think global warming is something to be concerned about, especially in light of uh, short AI timelines. Uh, But you have to consider that by current sort of projections, uh, there's a prediction that uh, uh, the models say that next year is uh, very likely going to be an exceptionally hot year, the hottest on record. Uh, to date, uh, like uh, you'll be sort of like sweltering next next summer, and uh, like even in this in these sort of like total details, uh, they are thinking of ways to sort of potentially uh, trap themselves. Uh, so even though Biden isn't polling very well, I mean uh, my sort of bet is that yeah, you uh, is that Biden you're is that Biden was would... you predicted on a show we did a couple of years ago that it would be Trump and Biden. Yeah, I did. Yes, and it, it's looking like that. And I think that even though the polls aren't looking very good for Biden right now, I think, like, uh, simply because um, Republicans are, like, ditoids and ditoids are retards, uh, they will find a way to screw things up, uh, like, one way or another. Um, it's just a, a like, a certainty, uh, metaphysical certainty. And uh, the well, most likely, I think Biden will win. Even Biden will win. And if uh, if Biden is deplaced by Newsom, which is a possibility, um then I think it's virtually guaranteed. And you think even like RFK could actually end up taking more votes from Trump than Biden? Oh, I think it's obvious that RFK will take more votes. Yeah, because uh, I would
1: vote for RFK, and if I was, and maybe like in the past, like I was a tepid Trump supporter in the past, but I'd vote for RFK. So that I, I kind of see that just even though in the past he would have been seen as more left-leaning, in many ways he is. I think the like anti-establishment versus establishment dichotomy Kind of like Trump's left versus right for many people. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, for what it's worth, I I, I like Newsom. I like Vivek, actually, like the only Republican candidate that I somewhat like. And uh, uh, Biden, I suppose, is uh, uh, is uh, better than the sort of like the other Republicans. I'm t- totally done with Trump, not to mention the so or what. Uh, oh, the the other losers, uh, like Nikki Haley, that neocon, uh, uh, totally uninterested. Yeah, yeah, I agree about
1: Trump. Totally uninterested in any of the Republicans, for the most part. And with it was interesting, is like I wrote this article about about this like rise in anti-Israel or anti-Semitic sentiment on the left. And I think my last article made the point. It's basically like an extension of of CRT and anti-whiteness, but applied applied towards like Israel and Jewish issues instead. Do you see, mm-hmm. how do you see this getting resolved? Do you see the left actually becoming anti-Israel or anti-Semitic, or you see some successful like version of CRT that treats anti-Semitism like the same way, that has zero tolerance for anti-Semitism but also strengthens CRT and on that issue and just like broader the future of like wokeness and identity politics.
0: Uh, okay. Yeah, just to address that uh, question, I uh, agree with that perspective. Um, the um, left, in my opinion, uh, it sort of has a peculiar anti-Semitism in that it's uh, it's actually logically consistent because the left, as we know, one of its core features of the of the uh, sort of like the standard left, not like dissidents, uh, but like uh, the main, mainstream left. Uh, is that they are blank latest and um uh, so logically uh jewish success i mean uh it must be uh sort of uh, uh a result of their privilege just like relative white success uh and uh but if they pay the positions if they sort of like acknowledge their privilege then that's fine um now um and obviously they have issues with israel as a uh, sort of like a zionist settler state and uh, to be fair i mean if you look at the opinion polls uh, opinion in, in in israel is like radical like, right-wing radical racialists to a far great extent than in uh, uh than in any East than in any European country like not even like the most based European even countries beyond, like, like like Hungary, Hungary uh anywhere close to that like if you just look at say like poll questions like would you marry a uh, an Arab or like a Christian uh like like someone from from like outside your religion so yeah it's it's Place specific society in that respect. So I don't think like the, that. Uh, leftist anti-Zionism uh, is even uh, l- like paradoxical, uh, or like if you're sort of like against nationalism, then I think that uh, anti-Zionism is sort of like just being consistent with uh, uh, with uh, with anti-nationalism per se. Now right wingers obviously they either support Israel because they sort of like like it as a model, or because it's a tactical alliance for them. Uh, you have that with uh, with Orbán actually with uh, like some of the like base. So- so-called based republicans i suppose um and uh but, but then you also have right-wing anti-semites uh but they are anti-semites for like nazi racialist reasons like race race war well, now type of reasons uh so um and uh, that kind of anti semitism is obviously uh what is of magnitude more virulent than uh, than leftist uh sort of like uh um like anti-semitism because the 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 latter is just basically like the sort of like uh criticisms of white for being privileged and uh, like uh, pressing, uh, like uh, like you know minorities and so on it's just a logical extension of that uh, whereas the um uh like the Nazi types they're like, uh, they like they would really sort of like fire out the oven, ovens again if, if they had the opportunity could you
1: see like wokeness uh waning away and being like instead seeing like a resurgence of a return to a kind of establishmentarian centrism.
0: Um, I, I, I mean, I think it happened to some extent, right? Uh, because um, uh, the influence of wokeness, I think, had peaked about two years ago, two, three years ago. Um, and has uh, like like with, like in tandem with Trump, actually, funnily, funnily enough. Uh, now that uh, there's sort of like um, old man Biden, who's this sort of like inoffensive uh, fellow who who it's hard to hate, really. I think we sort of, like, went went through that before. Um, he just sort of, like, doesn't excite passions as much, and um, um, it seems that, uh, like, wokeness are just sort of, like, um, somewhat... I mean, obviously it exists, and it's still problematic, but it's considerably less of an issue than it was before.
1: There's, like, these two competing narratives. One is, like, turbo Americanism... And like the end of history, then you also have like the collapse bros and then those who are saying that China is going to become dominant and the US will lose its world reserve currency status. So it revolves about like society, societal collapse versus end of history, Fukuyama in general, but also specifically about like American hegemony. But what do you think about those two competing narratives? And would you agree with one or is there like nuance in between?
0: I'm substantially more skeptical about China than I was two to three years ago. Uh, it's been making a lot of mistakes uh, with Covid, uh, with uh, uh, hampering its tech sector, uh, the crackdowns. Uh, so Xi extended his terms and uh, initially uh, sort of like there were some questions. I mean, uh, like there's traditional questions uh, to do with people extending their terms. It's uh, it's usually a symbol of of uh, colonialism being entrenched. And uh, that seems to be panning out essentially in, in China. So I'm actually significantly less on China's prospects, uh, uh, economic prospects, and especially its soft power prospects to a much less extent than I was a decade ago. I mean, I was a China bull since 2008. I mean, I'm again sort of being accused of flipping my views, but I'm just uh, adjusting them to the reality that uh, it was sort of rational. Yeah, 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 it was, uh, no, I don't, uh, because he's uh, like a hyperbolic, um, like a grifter, uh, who says uh, weird, uh, like, uh, apocalyptic stuff about how China sort of like is this paper tiger, essentially. So, no, I don't disagree with him. But what I'm saying is that uh, China's sort of GDP is probably going to uh, cap out, top out at maybe 50%, maybe a maximum twice as high as, as the U.S. Whereas versus like the three, three or four times that i previously expected. Um, the U.S. is forming uh, a uh, increasing, increasingly close ties with uh, not just its traditional allies in Europe and East Asia, but also with India, very importantly, um, uh, and to a large extent simply because of Chinese mistakes in, in continually provoking India for no good reason uh so I think that those two blocks uh, I, if, if i had to and obviously the uh, AI revolution it's almost entirely uh, an an american thing uh so there's more much more reasons to be relatively bullish on the u s relative to china than it was two to, the, to the, like three years ago in my opinion
1: do you think America's main vulnerability it obviously has a lot of strengths including natural resources is its main volatility political strife or your you generally actually are optimistic about America's short-term and long-term future.
0: Well, I mean, these sources don't really matter. Um, I mean, if these sources mattered, then the Middle East, some countries, Russia, would be like superpowers uh, still. Uh, but um, and, uh, the uh, political divisions, well, they seem to be less now than they were five years ago, and nothing really happened. Um, and in fact there's arguments to be, to be made that uh, countries that uh, stifle a political uh, division just uh, just ends up uh, manifesting it itself in uh, in various functions instead uh, so there's there's actually a case to be made for political divisiveness in, in my opinion it's just part of the uh, division of powers at the end of the day
1: and do you have thoughts on the state of the economy uh, as far as it relates to AI? Because on one hand, uh, there are some people saying that like there are there are all these like strong bearish trends of like a severe recession and amounts of debt. And on one hand, there's an argument that AI can create this immense economic boom that can create immense prosperity, obviously for the stock market. But then the flip side of that is that income inequality will exacerbate and then we'll see like mass unemployment with automation so what are your thoughts on the impacts of automation on in, the economy in,
0: in, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion it's uh, productivity is going to soar and initially that's going to translate into higher wages although Potentially, as we go further into the 2020s, you will have a crisis of overproduction in sort of like traditional Marxist terms, uh, ironically. And uh, you will then have to sort of start uh, various schemes uh, to implement UBI to make sure that the productivity boons from the AI revolution are equitably shared across the US and uh, hopefully ultimately the world at large. Uh, because in my opinion AI alignment is uh very important, and uh for people to treat it as important uh every society and uh individuals at large uh, around the world have to sort of uh, feel invested uh into into the system uh but that's sort of slightly different like you're asking about the session I think the uh the session has passed I mean the time to worry about the session was a year ago in my opinion um now uh, I mean I sold all my crypto uh, at the uh, uh, at the peak in 2021 20, uh, in November. And uh, I saw so I didn't buy back to uh, for all of 2022. Um, to be honest, I sort of actually missed the bottom because I was expecting Bitcoin at like 10K and Ethereum at like $600. And in reality, it never went uh, below uh, like 15 k and uh, $1,000 uh, respectively. And but then I realized that uh, that the recession is over. It's not going to be happening. The ETFs are coming, and uh, the uh, AI is going to settle on Ethereum. At the end of the day, uh, since it's sort of like the most uh, uh, rigorous framework for uh, for uh, like holding value in the digital realm, in my opinion. Um so I uh, just bought back uh, into into crypto uh, like uh, this summer. Uh, so, um, like, you could sort of see lingering problems with, uh, uh, like, uh, value stocks, I
1: suppose. What about uh, the bond markets? Uh, but, but um, volatility in the bond markets. Well,
0: uh, as, as I said, I, I think I think the um, sort of like the uh, the acute crisis phase has has passed. I'm not expecting uh, anything.
1: Do you think that uh, inflation has set back the timeline for UBI? Um uh,
0: Well, uh, I mean, I mean, I think UBI is going to be primarily driven by uh, by sort of automation and uh, eventually uh, there'll come a point when um, high- skilled workers uh, will no longer be getting reassigned, but will just be actively replaced by uh, by bots. And at that bo- at that point there will be extreme uh, political agitation and uh, the lobby uh, for for UBI uh so uh could could happen by the uh, by by the late twenty twenties early twenty thirties uh, i i expect if the optimistic timelines continue to hold
1: uh before we wrap up do you have anything else you want to add about the a i timelines alignment and also the biosingularity
0: oh okay yeah sure i mean uh yeah i'll, I'll sort of integrate this uh with uh current plans for, for uh, resuming blogging. Uh, over the past two years, I've mostly been doing other stuff. And uh, so far as commentary was concerned, I was mostly just shit posting on Twitter. Um, uh, but uh, now I plan to shift uh, to, to actually resume blogging and quite intimately, I have a, an article that I' uh, that's almost ready. unfortunately it wasn't published in time for this podcast, but it, it will be by the time this podcast comes out uh, on, on your website, uh, where I sort of go over uh, why I uh, uh, sort of abandoned my uh, uh, like any uh, lingering right wing uh, views or values I, I still still subscribed to uh, a year ago. And uh, I will also uh, sort of write about what I I will be blogging about in the future and basically in my opinion uh, we have a, a big problem uh, in the sense that uh, there is uh, there's this sort of like constitu there's like this sort of like attitude in in uh, in AI uh, where you can sort of either rush ahead and uh, then risk uh, doom uh, because if alignment fails or uh, we get a Malthusian AI scenario and since they're much more, Competitive than, than than humans, this could potentially lead to a scenario in which they uh, make uh, the biosphere uh, economically unviable. Essentially, so I think the uh, like there's serious concerns that are raised by the so-called Yudskowskiites Jutz, and so on. And I'm sort of like not not really into effective altruism at all. Uh, effective, sorry, effective uh,
1: accelerationism. Uh,
0: like but said, on the other oh hand,
1: accelerationism not effective altruism.
0: Yeah, 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 effective accelerationism. I think it's a dangerous ideology in a sense that it's either a death cult if taken to its logical conclusions, or more realistically, many of them just don't believe in, a- in AGI. Period, because they have this idea that AGI will come and uh, uh, like GDP will double or whatever, will will fly to Mars, like see, Tesla stocks, uh, SpaceX stocks will go up by 10x, and uh, but otherwise life will continue as normal. Uh, no, life isn't going to continue as normal, Bucko, uh, in, a, in a sort of like an AI uh, scenario. Uh, um, so uh, I think I think uh, AI is is dangerous, but I also think that uh, pausing uh, AI. By government fired is also very dangerous because it's it's actually ineffective. It won't, it won't actually do anything uh, because algorithms themselves are improving at rapid rate and hardware is as well. I think you need controls on hardware, but you also need increased funding to uh, sort of like accelerate, um, like the expansion of the biosphere's thinking capacity uh, by uh, uh, through embryo selection, uh, uh, genomics of IQ, stuff like neuralink.
1: You think even artificial wounds, or is that way off in the future?
0: well i mean i think uh, that would be good for natalism although not uh, pr- pr- probably would actually be pro eugenic as well uh in the sense that uh, uh pregnancy and child we le- think uh e- e- effects, e- exerts a, a big opportunity cost on uh, educated uh, professional women. uh so but but yeah it's wombs, although it's not like a, a big uh, big element i mean i think the really important stuff to get to get done though is uh, uh is intelligence augmentation uh um, and life extension uh because uh, i don't sort of like uh, want to die uh but i don't want to sort of like kill everything either so like preferably you would have a world in which people can live for several centuries or millennia or however long it takes to figure out uh, ai alignment and then see uh, then they consider whether it's sort of like uh, worth uh, worth um uh, launching it and uh, uh yeah i mean i think uh, so, so yeah the problem is though that i don't think uh, AI will, can be paused by government. Government fired. I think in the short term you need hardware caps, uh, like on uh, on TSMC production. Um, and uh, eventually you will sort of uh, need to, uh, um, like, reformat, in my opinion, the hardware base uh, to uh, uh, basically emit safety zk proofs of of safe uh, compute, uh, preferably onto a public blockchain, so that it's uh, uh, verifiable in a decentralized fashion. That uh, it's all safe compute. Uh, for what it's worth, Docker on Twitter has some very uh, good good ideas on this, which I uh, sort of recommend you check out. But uh, in any case, uh, this is uh, the kind of uh, uh, stuff that, that I think is uh, vastly more important than culture wars, uh, than uh, like the gays or the uh, like the the woke's and so on. It's vastly more important than uh, the. Uh, um, uh, tragic but meaningless village squabbles in Eastern Europe or the Middle East, uh, which will uh, probably, in all in all likelihood, not not nobody will even care about in circa 2050. Uh, so uh, this is sort of the kind of uh, thing I am going to be reorienting towards uh, uh, when I um, uh, relaunch my my blog, and uh, my subsite, which uh, which uh, uh, which is uh, called New saladation N- 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 and uh, uh it, it should be up by the time this podcast gets gets uh, so posted so new celebration that's your
1: new blog and most of your articles yes. are on
0: aronatolian.com on uh, yes my uh, archive is at akavlin.com, and uh, i will continue posting like various political shit and uh, like uh, stuff that interests me book reviews travel reviews and so on uh to a carlin.com uh but the series uh, mostly futurism related stuff as i see it uh will uh, accrue to uh, new celebration uh, from uh, from from now on
1: uh anatoly carlin a great show thank you so much for being on okay thank you uh top it.